0: Welcome, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is a podcast. I'm Allison Morrow. This is the podcast that talks all about the Southern Resident Killer Whales, J-Pod, K-Pod, and L-Pod. Today, we have Jim Waddell joining us. He was an engineer with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers for 35 years and says that if these Snake River dams don't come down soon, that the Southern Resident Orcas will not get enough food to survive. Now, if you're not familiar with the Southern Resident Killer Whales, unlike other killer whales, they don't eat mammals. Like seals and sea lions, they eat fish and they primarily eat Chinook salmon. There's an argument mounting among the public, among scientists, among whale experts that the dams on the Snake River are the main stronghold that are strangling the recovery of Chinook salmon necessary for the recovery of the whales. Jim Waddell, you're one of those people. Why don't you give us a brief background on how you got to this point, your work with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and how you arrived at your decision?
1: Sure, Allison. Um, Uh, Basically, I've worked at every level, started off in the field and worked my way up through the Corps of Engineers at various levels and ended up up in Washington, D.C. for 12 years doing policy work for the Corps of Engineers and, and actually went to other federal agencies like the Environmental Protection Agency, the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy and so forth. Learning learning a lot about, you know, what makes uh, infrastructure projects work and not work in this country. And that was kind of my expertise is, you know, how do you control the cost? How do you manage these things? And how do you make critical decisions about them, whether to build them or keep them or whatever? Now, in the course of my career, I ended up being posted to Walla Walla District in eastern Washington, where I was the deputy district engineer for programs. That's the senior civilian position in the district. And at the time I got there, we were just, uh, the district was sort of in the 80 percental stage of completing these what we call the lower snake feasibility study and environmental impact statement. And so I was involved in reading that report and making comment on it and asking a lot of questions because I was seeing a lot of bias going on within the district, and that's typical. And that's one of the things that, that my experience in Washington, D.C. taught me is that the regional people, district people, are going to protect their projects, it's just the culture of the Corps of Engineers and it's just standard the way they, you know, standard policy for these guys almost. But it's not consistent with the Corps of Engineers policy that a project should not be built or continued to be operated if it's losing money. And so that's what was the suspicion about the Lower Snake Dams ever since 1947 when the Corps of Engineers ginned up phony economic benefits to justify them to Congress. And, the, and it's kind of like the old adage, a bad project doesn't get better with age. And so these dams have been legendary in the Corps of Engineers as being losers. And so when I got to Walla Walla, and lo and behold, we got a study here in economic valuations and so forth that are, that are really squirrely-looking stuff. You know, when you look at the numbers, say, how did you guys get these numbers? And you don't get good answers and so forth like that. Anyway, so at Walla Walla, we were uh, – coming into a decision standpoint and it was clear to me that the biology was very clear and I had a very good biologist basically write a paper for me that says we got to breach the dams is the only way to recover salmon and so um, in my opinion of the economics was while I didn't have the time uh, in the basically to get underneath all the questions in the economics it was definitely suspicious looking the conclusions we were making was that the 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 economics of the dams was such. That if you breach them, Eastern Washington would you know basically be in trouble. And that's really not true. It wasn't then, and it isn't now. Anyway, the decision was um, um, you know was not, you know, even though I was saying we need to breach the dams or at least pursue with um, planning for breaching, that did not happen. And the uh, course of action that the Corps took was to basically add improvements to the dams themselves in terms of passage for small salmon. Um, instead of breaching or doing nothing. And actually, it was uh, our own biologist said that doing nothing was better than doing any more fixes to the dams. Nevertheless, at uh, an estimated price of $200 million, we went ahead with that decision. Um, and here we are, 17 years later, after that environmental impact statement was signed on that decision, and we've spent nearly a billion dollars on those four dams. And have gained nothing in salmon recovery in terms of um, abundance numbers that's returned, nor the survival rates of the uh, endangered or hatchery fish that are in in the river. So that's sort of the background that got me to um, to the point of um, you know today. And and I retired from the Corps of Engineers in uh, about 2009, moved to Port Angeles, and just through an accident of just coincidence, I happened to be at a. Um, um, A seminar on the Elwha dam removal, and heard people, environmental groups, talking about the uh, Snake River dams, which I knew a lot about, of course, and uh, mentioning that they were killing salmon. True, and but they probably would never be breached because of their economic value. And at that point, I stood up and walked to the front of the auditorium and grabbed the mic and said, "That's not true." And you know, and basically said the dams were a travesty and people weren't reading the reports. And had they read them, you know, these environmental groups especially had read these reports and really acted on them instead of, um, you know, well, they were suing in court on a biological opinion, but that wasn't getting them anywhere. But the point I made uh, was that the dam should be breached. And uh, what I didn't realize, I was being filmed by a Patagonia crew, which put me in the movie Damnation, a documentary about these dams. And that got me reengaged and so here I am ten thousand hours later of research and you know and, and it's you know, absolutely clear that neither the economics nor the biology um support keeping these four dams and the policies are in place as well, um, that would allow the Corps of Engineers to breach the dams very rapidly in a matter of months, not years and years that people keep telling each other that You know, you can't reach dams, well, anytime soon, it takes 10 years, and that's just absolutely not true. So that's kind of my background that got me to the point now where we're talking on the phone.
0: There are arguments that the dams provide transportation for wheat, for instance, or clean power. You're saying no no positive benefits of these dams exist at all? Or that the cost-benefit analysis is not balanced, or do you just say no? There's like there's zero reason for these dams to exist at all.
1: Well, the answer, just to start from the top, is the economic value of the dams. Uh, we've had economic, economists look at this very carefully and, and and review the the original work the Corps did on the economics and found that the keeping the dams generates a benefit of only 15 cents on the dollar. So every dollar the taxpayers and ratepayers put in the dams, they get 15 cents back. So, okay, you could say there's 15 cents to the dollar value. When compared to breaching the dams, which generates anywhere from 4 to $20 per you know investment dollar, and the reason that is, and this is, might be the biggest economic question and driver that people have, is the, the value of the hydropower generated by these dams. Yes, they generate power, but there's two things, at least two things to keep in mind about this. One, these dams are about twice as expensive as some of their, their better cousins on the, on the Columbia River, like Grand Coulee or Chief Joseph, which are producing power at a reasonable cost. Snake River dams don't. They're like twice as much in terms of cost. The other thing, even probably a bigger issue, is the fact that there, there's been a surplus of hydropower in the Pacific Northwest for decades, um, but Bonneville Power, is the market, they're the ones that market the power from the dams and sell it to people, the public utility districts. They've had so much surplus power, they've been selling it to California for a long time, many, you know, probably 20 or 30 years. Now, they, that was working until about seven or eight years ago. And so that meant that Bonneville was making money off those surplus sales, and that was keeping our power rates low in the Pacific Northwest. However, about seven or eight years ago, because of market shifts in the industry, and what I mean by that is, one, demand in the Pacific Northwest was staying low because of conservation efforts. Two, wind was coming on in a big way, uh, like 7,000 megawatts of wind in the Bonneville Power Authority area that was on the grid. And so... And compare that to 1,000, or 1,000 you know, megawatts of production on the lower snake dams, you can see you're starting to get an imbalance of, of a lot more power. The other thing was California put on, oh, something like uh, six or 7,000 megawatts of solar power in, in the last — or was nine thousand megawatts in the last six years. And so these things are reshaping the, the power markets, and it, what it means is that the surplus power is no longer — it's being sold at a loss. And at times, we're paying California up to $22 a megawatt hour to take that power. So that has created a huge um, cash flow problem for Bonneville. They have probably lost $900 million in the last two or three years. They're projecting to the, in, in the United States Congress, the budget office is there, that they'll lose. They're going to have to borrow $600 million per year from the U.S. Treasury for the next two years or three years to make up for these losses. Um, and the problem is that the Treasury is only going to bar- let them bar so much, and then it, that's it, no more barring. And then they're in a situation where the lights will go out in Seattle because you can't keep up a system where you're losing $600 million a year. So, that's, so the the, the, answer, the short answer is is that you do not need the power from the lower snake dam. So you could shut all those dams down, and nobody would make it, know the difference. And in, in, according to the numbers, your power rates would actually go down a little bit. Um, and so that's that's the fundamental economic driver for the Snake River dams. Now, yes, there is transportation of barges. It's primarily wheat this these days. Everything else is pretty much shifted off the river and And grain itself is down too substantially over the last twenty years, primarily because farmers, you know these are pretty smart guys, you know they figure out okay, which which is the cheapest way, and they're learning that they have been learning for fifteen or twenty years that rail is the cheapest way now in almost all cases and so they've built unit train loaders on their own they're built two of them they're building a third now on a, at endicott washington which is only about 20 miles from snake river so this is further drawing wheat off the river and so here you have a river system that farmers are sort of starting to abandon it also has an upgraded rail line all the way down the river so all the grain elevators along the river now that put wheat onto barges can easily put it onto rails into an upgraded rail system. So that's no longer an issue either. So those are the two big economic issues that, um, that, you know, basically point to the fact that there isn't much economic value. And the third might be that people say, well, we get some irrigation off one of the uh, reservoirs, but that's easy to fix. That fix is about $20 million. Um, and so that's not hard to take care of either.
0: So it's obviously very clear to you. I know the dams have been embroiled in a lawsuit for many years. Judge keeps saying, you guys got to go back to the drawing board and figure out how to stop killing fish. You got to, this slide or this whatever is not working. Um, But as you hear the arguments for it, or even if you go to, say, the governor task force meetings where people just seem... Um, not, I guess, as passionate or as clear-focused on this as you are. How do you make sense of that? Uh, If it's so clear to you, then I guess why isn't it so clear to everybody else?
1: Well, that's the $64,000 question. Why isn't the obvious clear here in terms of, you know, the economic value? And I think part of the problem, we have been telling each other for so long, for 20 or 30 years, that these dams are wonderful. And yes, overall, the Columbia system was delivering cheap, power, but that's shifted now. Bonneville is $17 billion in debt. They have the highest debt-to-asset ratio of any public utility in the country. Their administrator, Elliot Minzer, is is said publicly in a formal meeting that he's uh, not quite ready to panic, but he's almost there. And so, um, the why is this not obvious? And just because there's been too many people involved too long defending the dams and uh, telling each other that they can't be breached. And that's the other thing. They, they've Convinced each other that Congress has mandated these dams, and that they cannot be breached unless Congress, you know, decides to deauthorize them. Something, and that's not true. That's one of these key policy points that um, the Corps has the ability to put these dams into a non-operational status when they are uneconomical or they're killing endangered species in a way that can't be reversed. And so the um, um, so the, the the means to do this that we call it is really clear, but people have convinced themselves for so long, oh, it takes too long, you've got to go to Congress and on and on and on. So let's just keep studying this stuff because we're making a lot of money studying it. We've been litigating and they've been winning five court cases for the last eighteen years. Well we're the, you know, those environmental groups litigating say, wow, look a great job we're doing. And and they get their fees paid for by the federal government each time they win. So that just keeps perpetuating this machine of integrated interests that have learned to live and, and be comfortable keeping these dams and, and arguing over them. Um, there's money being made in that, whether you're a lobbyist or a lawyer or a studier or whatever. And so we just keep seeing that going on. And I think that's just an intractable kind of you know thing that you have to break through. And the only kind of people that can break through it is like leaders, like the generals and the Corps of Engineers. They can make this decision. Governor Inslee pushing on those generals and say, do it insley doesn't have the authority but he certainly these dams are causing great pain to his state and the orcas and the salmon and so forth and the ratepayers tell them tell this corps of engineers you want the dams breached? same with senator murray and Cantwell and so forth um they can be saying the same thing we don't need authorization from them but they need to kick the corps um or the white house um or somebody else in washington that you know has a stake in this like the secretary of energy with bonneville power authority so it it it's amazing, and I certainly heard it firsthand in the task force meetings. I went to all of them, and it was really um, pro- it's just awful to hear people that were supposedly experts talking about these dams and saying the most ridiculous things that had no truth whatsoever to them, in, in many cases, not all cases, and people agreeing and saying, "Oh wow, I guess I, I guess you're right. Yeah, and we can't do it then, you know, because the sediment's going to kill all the fish or the." Um, you know, one thing after another, or the roads are all going to collapse into the river, and you know, and even quoting stuff about the Columbia River, it's not even in. The, I mean, you got the rivers mixed up, so um... it really is um, a, a farce of you know what's going on there in terms of the people sitting around that table, um, you know, and even though I was allowed to give them a seven-minute briefing and a two-hour webinar on this, on the day on breaching and why it could be done and how it be, be done. Uh, nobody paid attention to that on the Orca task force. They didn't pay attention to Ken Balcom telling them the same thing. They just talked to each other and, and off they went into this law discussion about oh well we, we don't we can't breach these dams. Um or the other problem is they're assuming that it's their job to figure out whether the Corps can breach these dams or not for economic reasons or policy reasons. That's not their problem. Our problem in the state of Washington is these dams are killing the Chinook. They're killing the orcas that eat those Chinook and they're going to cause our rape, our power rates to go through the ceiling here, you know, in the next year or two. That's enough for the governor to say, I don't care, CORE, how you get it done, just get it done. And if you have to go to Congress, well, fine, go to Congress, but we need it done now. And we're not talking two or three or four years from now. We're talking this year. Something's got to be done. Well, we're going to lose East Chinook. Okay, the so Jim, say
0: is- say we get on board with everything that you've said and laid out your case very well. What about folks who say, even if you take down the dams, it's still going to take several years for there to be enough salmon stock to sustain the southern resident killer whales? Or what about the predators like uh, sea lions and seals? Or what about toxins when the fish sure. make it out? I mean, what's your response to that?
1: Okay, it's simple. Um, these four dams kill eight, about 8 million or at least 8 million chinook, juvenile Chinook every year. And so when you start breaching these dams, each one of them is kills roughly 2 million. So you save 2 million smolts, that half of which are going to get out into the ocean and grow up in 14 months later into fish big enough for orcas to eat and fishermen to take. And so nothing can put more fish into the system quicker than that. And so, you know, it, you can't get hatcheries ramped up that quick. You can't do habitat work. It takes decades to get a lot of fish back. And so even with... Uh, like seal uh, seal line predation in the Columbia Estuary, which is about 10,000 salmon a year, you that you can with if you put a, a couple hundred thousand fish out there chinook, well that's plenty for the seals, it's plenty for the orcas, it's plenty for the fishermen. Nothing can achieve those kind of results, and so that's that I think is the key thing to point out here is that you you're preventing the death of fish that are already in the system, and so how else i mean it just seems logical to I me mean, it's mathematical that that's that's the best solution and it's the quickest solution
0: i will say that those who are in the category of we should have a seal or sea lion call say that would be the fastest solution if you killed a bunch of marine mammals then you'd get rid of the predation issue
1: well sure okay yeah all right you, you got they're eating 10 million, uh, not 10 million, 10,000 salmon a year of the seals. Now, if you want to save those 10,000 salmon, you'll have to kill every damn sea lion and seal in the Columbia Estuary. You know, and then as soon as you kill them, kill more come in. So it's this endless cycle of just killing sea lions, you know, ad them. So number one. Number two, you know, you've got these transient whales that are killing seals, I don't know, 250 a day and they're they're capable of you know putting a big dent in the in the population of seals and sea lions as well so really what we ought to be letting nature take care of itself here and and because the transient population is exploding because of the number of seals they can get to and eat so um but again the simplest thing is just look at the numbers um you know okay they take t- uh, 10,000 salmon breaching one dam will put several hundred thousand back into the ocean
0: when you See where we've come at this point now with the governor's task force, the recommendations. Do you feel disheartened by spending the amount of time that you've spent talking to the influencers that you've spoken with and seen really nothing change, or do you feel like people are moving in a direction that? is more interested in what you're saying. I mean, what's the pulse as you're taking the pulse of of the Snake River dams as it relates to orca recovery among those decision-makers that you are trying to explain this all to? How are they thinking about it now compared to before? Is it all just the same, or is it changing?
1: Well, let's start with the orca task force. Um, uh, No, I'm not disheartened because I totally expected them to basically put together a group of people whose sole purpose was to defend the dams and talk about other things, special interests, their own pet projects, or keeping their group of constituents harmed by something the governor's task force may come up with. And certainly that's what we see, this big, long laundry list of of stuff that they're going to work on. Of course, dam breaching, immediate dam breaching, the call for Governor Inslee to go to the Corps of Engineers and say something right now is not in there. What they've called for is uh, more spill on the dams, which is not going to recover these fish. People say, well, you can do that right now. Well, sure, but it does not make any damn difference. In fact, it's killing adults for the first time since the 1990s on the Snake River. Um, the the other recommendation is that they do, you know, involve, set up a task, uh, task force to do stakeholder analysis in eastern Washington and talk to farmers and, do, and figure out what their mitigation needs. And that's silly, too, because it's already been done. The Corps of Engineers did this when I was at Walla Walla. We spent a lot of money talking to these people, stakeholder groups and so forth, and have come up. where well, we know what all the mitigation issues are, and we have price tags for them now. In fact, I've, my team and working with other engineers and economists have shown that a lot of this mitigation can be done for a lot cheaper than the Corps originally estimated. And so we've ganged all that mitigation cost into the what we call the breach cost that BP Honorable Power would pay, um, to get the breach done so the task force is really um has produced nothing it's it's uh, it, they're going to send a whole bunch of stuff to the washington legislature and the legislature is going to have to take money off of something else if they're going to pay for any of this junk and none of this stuff you know it, it's, it's some of this stuff is probably good things to do okay fine but if you don't breach the dams none of it will matter you you have to breach the dams in order to save the the orcas that's the only way to get them you know quick enough And still it's going to, you know, over the baseline that we have now, and and some of them are starving each year based on the baseline of fish we have now in the ocean, still it's the quickest thing. Fourteen months after those fish pass into the ocean, you'll have something, you know, for them to eat. So the other part of the is not just the governor's task force, but the governor himself that we have gone repeatedly to to try to meet with. He won't meet with us. We're being held off by his policy people. Um, Corps of Engineers, uh, I've met with, um, with them. In fact, uh, the general in Portland, I've met with, laid all this stuff out non It's other than to say we're going to follow the Columbia, the, the litigation process that calls for a new study in, you know, two or three years from now. I'll be going to Washington, D.C. in a couple of weeks to meet with the Corps' leadership there to talk about this. And so hopefully we can make some breakthroughs. But um, Bonneville Power Administration, the, uh, the administrator, refuses to meet with me. Five or six times I've tried to meet with him over the last two years to lay out, here's how you can save a bunch of money for taxpayers and save salmon and orca at the same time. And they just refuse to listen to this because nobody wants to be the person to raise their hand and say, oh, we really need to take out a dam. It just, it's, you know, these dams are the manifestation of manifest destiny in the Pacific Northwest and to talk about them reaching one is like trying to convince the egyptians you're going to take down the pyramid of giza or something you know it, it, it it's that kind of cultural um you know importance to them and so um nobody wants to be the one to raise their hand but i'll tell you what when some of the tribes are starting to wake up on this thing in terms of wow we really got to do something now uh, others are waking up and i think once the this thing tips everybody's going to get behind this thing. But right now, everybody's still in this, um, whether they're environmental groups or the politicians or the, the agencies, um, you know, they're they're just sitting there. Now, the one bright spot here is the general public, um, the informed citizens have been looking at the facts that we've been putting on our website, damsense.org. And, and what we're seeing is sort of a revolt of the informed citizenry against the state, against the task force, against the federal agencies, and then against even some of their own environmental groups. They're basically telling them, shut up and be quiet. We're going to litigate. We're going to ask for more spill. And and they're getting mad. And so they're protesting. It was a protest in Portland about two or three weeks ago in front of the Corps of Engineers headquarters. And Corps never seen that before. Nobody protests the Corps of Engineers, but now they're seeing it. So. That I think is a is a is a sign that this thing we've had enough. Citizens are tired and they're raising up and they're going to fight back.
0: Are you hopeful for the Southern Resident killer whales?
1: Well, <laughs> you know, hope is not a method, but yes, I am. Um, uh, I, I think we've we've never been as well positioned to breach these dams as we are now because the information historically has never gotten to the leaders in Washington D.C. that needed to know this stuff. That's, that's what I've been doing, and the damn sense folks that help with that to push that information around and get it briefed to leaders and so forth. Um, they're having a hard time saying no. There's, no. there's very little science or economics or engineering that says they shouldn't be done. It's just that, oh, we believe that we have to wait on the federal judge to look at another EIS. Not true if the, the core has responsibility right now to take care of the problem they're not they don't get a get out of jail free car just because the judge says come back in two or three years with another study if in the meantime you're killing all these fish and wasting all this money so um that's that's why i'm i'm hopeful that we've got we the government's own documents prove that we've got very powerful arguments to make here it's just how do you get that message up and into the brain of these decision makers and give them the courage to see that, hey, you can be a hero here. Inslee can be a hero. Um, but they just have been convinced by their staffs and so forth that have been saying the same thing to every boss that's come through for the last 25 years. Oh, you got to be careful here, general or uh, senator or governor. Uh, you, don't, you know, we don't want to upset the voters or something like that. So um, it's tough, but I, I believe we've... Like I said, I'm hopeful because the information is there to support the argument. It's it's back to the orcas, you know. That's that's sort of what is 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 brought the me brought the media back into this thing, and I appreciate that because the media's been silent on these dams for too too long, and finally we're starting to see the media um, say, "Oh, we're con- we've connected the dots." It's it's it, the media is just not about you know showing dead whales out there. But it's going back to the dams and understanding what the relationship between the salmon, the Chinook, and the orcas and so forth, of how many come out of the Snake River, how important the Snake River is. Um, you know, right now, um, orcas, the resident orcas, are only spending about 20%, maybe less, uh, of their time in the Salish Sea because there's, there's so little Chinook food there. And so they're having to spend more and more time out in the ocean along the coastline. And when they're out there, basically your primary source of food is the Colombian snake runs and so those snake runs is what and is what's keeping these orcas alive now making it there's not enough snake runs and the snake runs are are basically collapsing the last few years i mean they've been in in bad shape for decades but they're just basically going down really badly the last three or four years and so we're we're basically about to put a, a a bullet in the head of these orcas if we don't breach these hands because without the snake river stocks that are there now, these 20 million Chinook, and that 8 million of them get killed every year by the Snake River dams alone, much more get killed by the Columbia dams. Without those fish staying alive, these orcas are dead. And, um, and they'll start dying off, like they have been doing. And um, they're not all gonna die at once, but you know, they'll trickle away. And, but you know, we're down to a point, you know, according to Ken Balcom, where we've got basically a handful of breeding males and females and that's holding this population together of all three pods and so um we just simply cannot wait another month or year longer it's got to be now or it's going to be never
0: jim Waddell, former engineer with the u.s army corps of engineers thanks for being on the podcast
1: today all right thanks allison